Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Anderson, thank you very much. I am Chris Cuomo. Welcome to Primetime. I want to take you right back to Atlanta uh, because uh, this is a day where people are trying to remember George Floyd, but this situation is getting very tense. There is a curfew in Atlanta that has just started just a few seconds ago. And I can't tell from this crowd how expansive it is, but there's a lot of police presence there. Nick Valencia is on the ground. He will give us a sense of the state of play. What can you tell us? Chris, good evening. We've seen these demonstrators start to fall back a little bit, but they've been in a tense standoff with police the last 15 minutes. You remember what happened here Friday night? Well, a lot of people here, including journalists, are saying that it has that same energy. Let me pan over here, show you the, uh, the riot gear worn by the Atlanta officers, a large police presence here. And, and this is different, Chris, in the sense that the police seem to be just as much in number as the demonstrators that are less straggling around. I want to point out this scene here, if you could come closer with me, my, my photographer, Mike Calloway. That's one of the lieutenants leading the response right there, talking to demonstrators. He has taken a knee with demonstrators. He has tried to create a dialogue. It was last night when uh, we didn't see any pepper balls or tear gas deployed, much in part because, according to this lieutenant with the Atlanta Police Department, there has been progress in the dialogue with the demonstrators. Hey, Nick. They are quick to point out people have come in from out of state. Yes, Chris, go ahead. Nick, uh, good point about the out of state and the outside antagonists. Uh, that uh, lieutenant, see if you can get over there and hear what he's saying to them. Let's see, see if we can get some of the dialogue between the two sides. Don't hurt yourself. Mike, don't hurt yourself climbing over that thing. But if you can get there. I got there. it, man. I'm at the end. You don't give me a chance. How can I prove that we're not here to help you? Okay? You're live on CNN now. Step over there, please, boy. We got it on camera. He likes Guys, just help her get behind the barrier, please. So you see, Chris, this is somebody who was here yesterday. In fact, this woman laid down and was asked to move by police, was nearly arrested yesterday, and is not moving again today. They're trying to reason with her, and it seems that uh, surrounded, uh, surrounding her are other demonstrators, other citizen journalists. And uh, there we go. That situation was resolved. I got it. Okay, so we're right actually in between the police and the demonstrators. So far, they have not advanced their position. Um, we, thank you very much. We were uh, uh, told that they would use tear gas if necessary. And I want to tell you why things are different tonight. There was an unexpected visit from Atlanta's Mayor Keisha Lance Bottoms, and she was met with really mixed reaction, Chris. A lot of booze, people accusing her of having photo opportunities not having uh, a standing dialogue with the demonstrators. What they want is police reform. They are here not just because of George Floyd. The leaders of these organizations, although uh, the leaders of these demonstrations, although they are fractured, two of them told me that they are fighting 400 years of injustice. It's not just about one man. You see here, though, there is a crowd. Sorry about the language here, guys. You know, this is a, a crowd. This is a live situation. We're not sure what's Don't going worry to about it, Nick. Go ahead. Keep trying talking. trying best here between law enforcement. Don't worry about it. Go ahead. Trying the best between law enforcement and the citizens to, to try to settle this peacefully. We're now, uh, I'm not sure what time it is here. We're now two minutes into the curfew. So far, there are still demonstrators in the streets. I'm just going to step away and let this play out in front of me, Chris. Guys, I will see everybody tomorrow.
So, Lieutenant Knapp, you hear him. He's asking the people to leave. Saying, yeah, let's, let's hear what the message is and let's hear what the response is. Black Lives Matter doesn't stop at 9 p.m. What is it about? Why aren't you leaving when they ask you to, to obey the curfew? Why, why, why won't you obey the curfew? Black Lives Matter does not stop at 9 p.m. Okay, thank you very much. Don't ask me a question. You don't want me to grab the mic. Well, thank you very much. Thank you. He can go to jail peacefully. But he will go to jail. It's on you to decide each and every one of you as individuals. So you can you can go you or you can stay. Not what we want. What, let me ask you a question. The curfew is Listen a violation of our system. These negotiations are still ongoing, Chris. Uh, they're playing out right in front of us here. And the, the man in the Georgia um, T-shirt, uh, is did he organize this? Is he with a particular group or is he just speaking to the lieutenant? Uh, he's just speaking to the lieutenant right now. We, we did speak with two others who say they've been here from the beginning and are a part of the demonstrators, uh, the organization that, that, that led this. But it was really, a, you know, it, it's, a, it's a, a hodgepodge of groups that have come together here. You know, we, we've seen anti-fascists. You know, on Friday night, we saw people that supported President Trump out here, Proud Boys, what looked like to me, from judging from their tattoos. A lot of these individuals, though, I recognize from my time in, in Atlanta. You know, these are local residents mixed in with people who have admitted to us. One person went uh, as far, come as far as Kentucky to come out. Out here, we asked him about the violence. He says he thinks it's the only way. And uh, right before this curfew got underway, we did speak to some of the demonstrators that were on the standoff. They said they had no intention of leaving. Right now, you clearly see law enforcement trying to peacefully negotiate this. Yeah, I want to hear this. what he's saying to and, him. Uh, Let's you know, hear what the, the negotiation is. Sure, sure, sure. Listen. Tomorrow, we're going to be next day, yesterday, always a bunch more. It's a fight at 8.59, 9 o'clock, and 9.01. We're going to continue fighting. Again, can you mention that it is, it is, it is, can you please tell the truth? So let us do it peacefully. Put me on the camera. Let me talk to you. It's the false report. It's the false report. It's not that's like why we need to be live. That's, that's why we need yeah. to be live. Like, like we were peaceful and you know that. Know what case you tell the truth? No, you did not. You said you said that we were using like peace. Well, there is a curfew in place. We're not abiding by it. I'm not going to stop you from doing that. Okay? That is each. All right, so Nick. Want to do that? And want to sit? It's kind of hard to make out, Chris. I'm sorry. No, listen. I, we we get the state of play. There's a demonstrator next to us that wants to uh, voice his opinion here. Go ahead. What, what, what's what's going on here? All right. So right now we have one of the protesters that he wants to be arrested peacefully, peacefully at that. But he wants to stand up against the curfew right now. And we just have the officer over here trying to get him to leave in peace because there is no reason to be arrested just to go against the curfew. And you took some exception when I said that there was a person from out of town. You wanted to mention, you wanted me to mention that he was white. Why? Yes. Uh, I didn't know he was white. You didn't mention he was white the first time. That's why I asked you if you minded telling me what race he was. He came all the way from Kentucky and said that he thinks the violence is necessary. His race is white. And it's been proven that there are many people that are instigating, that are not for the cause. They act for the cause, but they're just infiltrated. Yeah. What are you for? I'm for the cause. I'm Colombian yeah. and proud. I'm Latino and proud. I'm a, a Georgia resident and citizen since I was a kid. I'm here for the love of humanity and for the love of having everybody have equal treatment, regardless of their skin color, regardless of where they're from. Thank you so much. Your name? What's your name? Daniel Gonzalez. Thanks, Daniel. All right, Nick. Okay. 
Yes, Chris, go ahead. All right, so, Nick, we get it. Uh, look, you know, the curfew creates a very um, complicated point of tension. People say, no, it's not complicated. It's straightforward. Uh, this is what it is. Um, this is the law. But uh, it is a, an interesting point of contrast because the protesters are saying, so you only enforce the law and insist on justice when it works for you. And what I liked about this, at least on one level, is the protesters have a right under law to voice their opinion the way they want. They can be angry, they can blame, they can shame, they can yell. You know, when people say peaceful, they mean passive. That's always been my point. Nobody wants to see violence. As soon as we start touching each other in a way that's against the will, we make a mockery of the law. Everybody knows that. But the idea of peaceful protests, peaceful is a code word for passive for a lot of people who want things to stay the way they are. And this is tough because the police have to do the job and enforce the curfew. It is the law. How they enforce it matters. And it was good to hear that lieutenant saying, I don't want trouble. I don't want you to get arrested. I don't want to do this this way. Let's try to make this good for everybody, which is going to be hard. These are difficult times. As you're speaking, they're giving they're going to give another announcement. or They are giving another announcement here over the loudspeakers of those uh, Bearcats saying that your violation and curfew. We don't know how this is going to evolve, but we're being told to move out of the way. here. All right. So do do this. It seems as though law enforcement might advance. Stake out a position that is good for you to cover, but not to be in the way. Um, Stay in touch with the control room. If there is movement that we need to show, come right back to me. Okay. I'm going to keep just a really quick thought before I wrap up, Chris. I know that Mayor Keisha Lance Bottoms was asked today directly by the demonstrators to lift this curfew. That was a point of contention, and it seems to still be right now as the curfew is in effect. Go ahead, Chris. Because we have our thank you, Nick, be safe. Take care of you and Mike. Take care of the team and give us an angle where we can see this. We'll keep the picture up and we'll monitor it here as well. I do think it's important, though. Um, We have a very, very important guest uh, that we have on the show tonight. There are a lot of steps in this struggle, okay? And I will cover the memorials today. Uh, we're watching the officers move forward now in a straight line. Uh, let's, let's just watch and make sure it's done the right way, all right? This, this is tough to do without anybody being upset. Come on, y'all messing the shot up, man. I'm backing up, let me go. Yeah, Mike, you can follow them and find out what's going on. Nick, go ahead. Yeah, as long as you're, you know, doing what they, uh, you know, not not becoming somebody they need to clear, we keep going. Now, on the back side of this, we see uh, what appears to be National Guard uh, members, all right? Now, one of the interesting things about them is they are not trained to do what they're doing right now. They are not police. They are not trained in policing and arresting and dealing with crowd control. Um, and that's why governors are very slow to use them in situations like this. Their presence makes a huge statement. No question about it. It's an amazing show of force. Uh, but force can be met with force in these kinds of points of tension. And what you saw from that Atlanta police lieutenant is an acquired skill. How do you speak to people who are angry and angry with good reason and negotiate things that wind up becoming some type of accommodation of equal and opposite forces. And that's why the police are out in front. Yeah, sneak around the side there, Mike. Good. 
There, there appears to be only about a dozen or so demonstrators, and we're looking at what appears to be one person being detained here. Uh, at least one person being detained so far. Uh, well, I don't know if he's being detained. They want to talk to him. They're talking. Let's hear them talk. Well, we're just asking him to keep walking. They pulled him aside and they're asking him to keep walking. Right. He was not detained. They're being pushed further into downtown. More so towards uh, the restaurants that are still closed, hotels, some of them still open. And uh, what we saw here over the course of the last few nights, you know, we're not we're not seeing the, the deployment of any tear gas. We're not seeing the deployment or, or, or heavy use of force to clear these demonstrators. This appears to be a new strategy. In fact, earlier today, they did have water bar uh, barricades that they had filled with water, removed I hear you. barricades. Hey, and we didn't uh, Nick, while you're talking, police, uh, Nick, while you're talking, if you guys can sneak around yeah. that corner, go around the corner and let's just see what's sure. happening around that corner if you can get there. Sure, sure, sure. You got it. All right, so those people seem to have been moved along. All right, good. And look, it's, a, it's great that there is no tear gas. There are no flashbangs. There is no force. There are no detentions. Um, you know, those are, are sometimes a necessary consequence of uh, people voicing protest. But I know it makes for a provocative television, but it's something that doesn't help anybody. Uh, all right, so they're going to continue their march. Nick, good. Uh, I appreciate it. Stay monitoring the situation. Let me know what changes. Great job of giving me a sense of the scene. Appreciate it. Now, I want to get to this witness uh, tonight because we have a very specific uh, amount of time. Uh, the, okay, we're clear. We're off the air. The struggle to get to a better place has to begin with justice in the Floyd yeah. case. I know it's not the only case. I know that there are many. I know that this is about a pattern of behavior over many years. But Floyd, his death was so obnoxious and so disgusting on so many levels and that we got to see it and the time and the callousness that it is a legitimate flashpoint and therefore very relevant point for the search for justice. As the case is being made, perspective is everything on why this happened, how it did. That is going to be the key to the officer's defense. I guarantee you that. Even with videotape, you will hear the argument that the officers were not perceiving it the way it seems obvious to so many people. Maurice Lester Hall is an account the likes of which we have not gotten to hear yet. He was, yes, a friend of George Floyd. He was also in the passenger seat with him in the SUV that police approached on that Memorial Day. He knows exactly what happened in those last minutes of Floyd's life because he was there. Mr. Hall is here for his first TV interview with his attorney, Ashley McFarlane. Uh, I'm sorry to keep you waiting. I'm sorry for what you've gone through to get to this point. I just wanted to make sure that we could show people in real time what was happening there. Um, counselor, thank you for being with us tonight. I appreciate it. Sir, uh, if you could just please uh, give me your perspective on what happened when the police approached that car in terms of what they were asking for and what they were offered up by you and your friend, Mr. Floyd. May 25th. Memorial Day, Mr. Floyd and I was approached by two officers. Um, one had took the side of my car door and um, asked for my ID, which later I um, heard a loud 
distraction of a sound coming from Mr. Floyd's direction of another officer sounding like he was trying to break the window of Floyd's side of the driver's side of his SUV truck. And our, uh, at that moment, the, it started Mr. Fly, Floyd, myself, and maybe even the, part, the partner of the officer because he then ran from my side to the other side of the vehicle after um, his um, partner was on my brother's side, um, I believe, using a use of force. Well, Mo, help me understand uh, the situation. So the officers came up to both sides of the vehicle asking for ID. What happened on George's side of the vehicle that made the officers run after there, Do you over there? Do you remember? I do. I remember hearing a loud, like uh, the object of a blunt force, some large object, whatever the officer had in his hand. Again, I'm turned because I'm taking care of the officer that's on my side. I can only hear this. And once I hear this loud distraction of this officer trying to break George's window, then he's demanding things. And I can hear George asking him, what did he, you know, what did he want him to do? So he's asking him, so George wasn't saying, get away from the car, leave me alone, I'm not going to get out. No. Nothing like that. No, no, not at all. No, in fact, he was only asking, he said, what do you want me to do? He, the, the officer started George, first of all, by bluntly banging on the window. Once he done that, then I can um, see Mr. George putting his hands above the steering wheel of the, of the, of the vehicle. And once he did that, then I witnessed the officer reaching in and grabbing Mr. Floyd's hands. Now, when they grabbed when they grabbed George's hands and put him behind his back in the videotape, it seemed like it took a long time to get him out of the car. What was happening during that time? He was asking them questions. They asked him, let me see your hands. George showed him his hands over the steering wheel. And when they when he did that, the officer reached in and grabbed his hands. Now, keep in mind, he did start him by like he was trying to break the window, open the door. He he demanded he it, what I believe the energy was set wrong by the police when they approached them because they 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 approach with like uh, our energy where it, it started Mr. Floyd. That's what I believe. And he was just trying to defuse the situation as best, as humbly as he could. The man asked him what did he want him to do, Mr. Joyce, and then the cop said, put your hands up, show me your hands. Floyd showed him hands, put his hands in the air as a sign of, here go my hands, I'm not moving in the vehicle, I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to um, flee or no George sudden. was saying and things like that. George was saying things like, I'm good, I'm not going to do anything, here it is. He, he was speaking that way? By, by by actions, by, by actions. showing him, here's my hands over the steering wheel. When he shows his hands and mm -hmm. put them over the steering wheel, the cop reached in and grabs his arms. Got it. When he grabs his arms, George asks the cop, why, why are you grabbing me with the uses for it? Why are you doing this? You ask to see my hand. Here go my hands. He's a big fella. Now, it's a cop. One officer is tussling with George's hands while George is still sitting in a peaceful form. He's in his vehicle. And the cop is, it's like, it seems as if he was trying to pull him out or something. I can't really, you know. Did you hear them the telling officer. George to get out of the car? No, I okay. just, um, I witnessed 
and remember the officer then from my side taking off to his partner's side. Right. Now it's two cops on Georgia's side. Did you hear they started and, shouting gun or the reporting was that they thought someone may have a gun or and that's why there was an urgency? Did anybody in the vehicle have a weapon? No, they didn't find a weapon. They detained the car. So. I mean, if it was a weapon involved, you guys, I'm sure it would have came out. There's no weapon. All right. No, thank you, Ashley. And also the reason I'm asking is, uh, Counselor, and obviously uh, it's an obvious question, Mo, because the idea of did they ask George, do you have a gun? And he didn't answer. Or was there anything that you remember that gave an officer any reason to believe that there was a weapon? No, sir. At this point, once they reached for Mr. George's Floyd's hands, it took the whole situation into a, a turmoil that didn't have to be. All George was doing was just trying to stay humble and trying to be relaxed as possible. And once they dragged him out the vehicle and he stood up, the cop that was on his side, those two cops, they, I get, I don't know, they was intimidated maybe. I don't know what they were thinking at the time, but they, uh, George, he, he then was in peaceful form. He retreated to his knees saying, hey, man, in so many words, y'all don't, I'm, I've been hurt. I've been hurt, officer. Please, officer. In other, in other words, like, why are y'all detaining or, or using such force right now with me? Um, I mean, here so, I am. I'm so we don't assistant. see George. We don't see George fighting in the video. Uh, we see the officers taking him out. It's a little bit of a tussle in the car to get him out. That's why I'm asking you those questions, how it went. Then we see him. Right. sitting on the ground by the store where you guys were and there's time passing and they're talking. What was that about? Do you remember? Um, they had me detained at that time on the other side, as you said. Um, I could see and witness across the street and hearing him talking and uh, I witnessed other cops still down and, and like still like to me, I can see him taunting them. Chris, are you talking about before they cross the street? Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. yeah. Counselor, remember how like in the video, I don't know how much of it you've digested at this point, but yes. one of the questions here, uh, Counselor, is why it took so long. You know what I mean? Whatever they were doing in the store, whatever they felt the call was about and what the stop was about, you know, the job is to arrest these guys if they think they have probable cause and take them away. Uh, but this took such a long time that has never made sense. And that's why I'm asking this way, Counselor. So if you can help me along with it, that's great. But, Mo, my point is they could have, once they pulled them out of the car, they could have put you in a cruiser and taken you away if they thought they had probable cause for arrest. But they didn't. Correct. That's right. That's right. They contained, they corralled me, and then they was only focused on George, Mr. George, which he was doing a peaceful protein. He was in his humblest form. He's on the ground. And and Chris, from, from what Mr. Hall has told me from the beginning, this, you know, as he set the stage, Mr. Floyd was shocked by this when they came to, the, came to his car. So he was trying to gather what was happening. He was trying to figure out what, you know, what was going on, what did they want. He, he continued to tell them. Uh, that he was he was not resisting. not resisting, doing what they wanted him to do and trying to figure out what it was about. Um, you saw within seconds, really, of approaching the car, they put him in handcuffs mm-hmm. uh, and and then led him across. Right. You know, my client will tell you, he said, you know, I've been hurt before. Please. What is this about? Right. So, um, Counselor, we're showing right now, just so you understand, we're showing like kind of 
three moments in, okay? You have, let's, let's look at moment one, they approach the vehicle. Moment two, they have uh, George uh, Floyd up against the wall. He's sitting on the, on the ground against the wall, which I believe is part of the store where they were. Your uh, client was on the other side uh, of the street. That's right. And why did they sit him down there, Mo? And what were they asking him? You know, like, what, what was the point of having him on the ground and talking to him there? Do you remember? I do not. Only thing I can remember, I thought I thought that they were still fighting and tussling with him. The only reason he was on the ground. Yeah, but he uh, was just he was sitting and, there and then they pick him up and they start taking him uh, to an SUV and he falls on the ground. They then kind of half have him in. Then he's back on the ground again. What were you seeing there? What was going on? I've witnessed them at this point that you're speaking of. He's very well handcuffed. When they half put him in the cruiser car, then they pulls him back out. Yeah. But I I have to shift down at this point to see from my angle. And, and from that angle, I can see him like as they was taunting him. Like they was taking, you know, like just, I don't know. It looked like they was. Um, see, we're showing, we're showing them move um, George from the Mercedes SUV over to the wall. And now he's on the ground sitting. It's a flash uh, shot, so we don't know how he got down there. Now we see them pull him up by his arms, which are obviously handcuffed behind his back. And now they start moving him over. George is obviously complaining about what's going on. Um, They're looking at his cuffs because he's complaining about it um, reasonably, right? I mean, obviously he's been cuffed a while. He didn't want to be cuffed. It doesn't feel good. Why did he, from your perspective, what happened in that cruiser and why he had to wind up face down on the ground the way he was with the officer on his throat. How did you understand it in the moment of what was going on and why? Um, at this point, I can remember seeing Mr. George feet from the cruiser 320. So I can see his feet and, and, and remember seeing the officers riding his back and massing the table. So from what I gathered, um, it was came, I believe one of them said that let's, uh, they thought he was going to be kicking or, or, or maybe was uh, too large for the back of the car. So he might have uh, had it. I don't know what they thought, actually. But he 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 recalls he was standing across the street. All he saw was his friend on the ground pleading for his life, begging and crying out for his life. And, and, uh, and, and the understanding, was- counselor, from your perspective of what you've been told, why? So they sit him in the cruiser or the SUV. Then they take him back out which is one of the things right. that just I, d- doesn't make any sense here. And then right. he's on and the my ground. Client, that's right. And my client doesn't know why they did that. All he saw was that he was on the ground and he saw from across the street, his legs kicking. He could hear him pleading. And he saw the officers on top of Mr. Floyd. And how long did it job. seem to go on, Mo? Um, a good 10 minutes. And me knowing Mr. Floyd... I'm always knowing that he's always trying to um, be as humble as he can because he know he get he gets he gets, you know, big guy status. Um, he gets extra attention, uh, good or bad. But he knows how to um, conduct himself, you know, just like the media and everyone knows he's known as a gentle giant. Bottom line. So even dealing with law enforcement that he has no control of, he still tries to. Pro, you know, come in his humblest form. And uh, that's what I remember witnessing. I've seen it before, and it turned out not like such with him losing his life. 
Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, Chris, my client will tell you when he saw and he was experiencing this, he didn't even know that Mr. Floyd was dead at that point. He thought that once he was getting on the gurney and going in the ambulance, that they were going maybe he, to get him some treatment or maybe he was too big for the patrol car. So this was another way to take him in. He didn't find out that Mr. Floyd had passed and was killed until the next day on social media like everybody else. Maurice, when he was on the ground and you heard him screaming uh, near the end, give us a sense of what that was like to hear it and to see what you could. Where was your head and your heart when you were watching that? Um, behind Mr. Floyd and um, I was just feeling helpless because I was being detained by another precinct officer um, to stay, you know, not so active as far as movement, which was protocol. And um, after seeing the video the next day, like my lawyer said, and knowing from that angle of the video that was released, whew, it's a horrific, it's a horrific act. You think the officers knew that George was suffering and struggling the way he was? The one that, the, the guy that was on his neck for that long, I really believe from that watch the video, he looked down and studied and knew from my personal and Chris, belief. any human being with, with eyes and ears knew he was suffering. I saw my brother take his last breath. The world saw him take his last breath. He was dead before he left the scene. Did you hear the officers saying anything to one another? about what they were doing to Floyd or how George Floyd seemed to be doing? No, because after they got him on the gurney and was he was shuffled out of there, of course, they was asking the question, what are they going to do with uh, myself and the passenger? And they was like, are they good? And asked a few questions, let us hear one go and cleaning the scene up like protocol police, you know, how they do. They let you so, go? Um, yes. They, they released us. That released us. They, While they were on George, um, and Counselor, uh, help me if, if you feel I'm confusing context. I know your angle wasn't great. I know that you were dealing with the fact that you couldn't help him anyway because you were detained. But were the officers talking to each other or expressing any kind of interest in George's condition while the officer was on his neck did you hear any conversation from them about any kind of concern? And Chris, he was he was across the street. Too far away. Um, there was it was a lot of commotion. Sirens were starting to to come. Right. He was too far away. Too far away. But he did hear. He could hear George, George. saying, "Oh, they're gonna kill me." I can hear him screaming. I can hear him pleading for his life and asking and begging to just breathe. He just wanted to breathe. He just wanted air. And I just, I can remember hearing him squirming and crying out like the world hearing him. You heard George say, I think they're going to kill me. They're trying to kill me. Not think. He said, they're going to kill me. I heard him saying I can't breathe. George, uh, if you can, Counselor Maurice, will you do me a favor? L let me take a commercial. I don't want your only perspective on George to be how he died. Uh, I want to hear about why you loved him, why he was your friend, and what you know about him that people need to know about him to understand why 
your telling of the story and people who know him about how he would have been with the police is something they should listen to. And I understand. So I'll take a quick break. I promise. I don't want to drag this out for you. I know you don't want to talk about this. I know it's hard and I appreciate it. But people need to understand who he was. We got so much bias and stuff to strip away for people so they can just see it for what it was. So, Counselor, uh, are we good with that? Yes. Thank you, Chris. All right. Thank you. We'll take a quick break. We'll be right back. This is a perspective we have not heard. And right now, as this case is coming uh, ever closer, it's one that we need. Please stay with us. All right. Uh, We were in the middle of an interview, uh, a perspective we have not gotten yet on the George Floyd situation. We've shown you the video, um, but we now have a friend of George Floyd's who was in the car. All right. Uh, Mr. Maurice Hall, who's with us right now with Counselor. Uh, uh, Thank you very much, Counsel, for coming back. Ashley McFarland, thank you very much to have you both. Thank you for waiting over the break. Um, I just want I wanted to be clear to people. The stop that resulted in the death of George Floyd also resulted in no arrest for you or the other person who was in the car. You were let go at the end of all of this, right? And Chris, I want to I want to interrupt for one second, please. I think this is an important point. Um, oftentimes, in most times, you know, I don't allow my clients to talk to the media, right, for various reasons. Mm-hmm. This is a different case. The only reason that we have the pressure that we have right now is because of the public seeing what happened and the public reacting and making sure that justice is being carried out. I wanna make sure we didn't get into a lot of the facts here tonight because I wanna preserve my client's testimony for trial as a potential witness in trial. But I think it's important for the public to know that Mr. Floyd did not resist. That is clear without a doubt. So I want to be careful of how much we talk about on your show, and I respect you a lot. Um, but that was the point of doing this, is to make sure that the, the public knew that he did not resist. Understood. And much, much of the rest of the facts we'd like to preserve, uh, we'd like to preserve for court. Understood. Uh, agreed to and understood and accepted, counsel. I was just trying to highlight the fact that a man is dead and uh, people will actually let go at the end of it. So the idea of suggesting, well, it had to be something bad um, is uh, at a minimum a weak argument. Now, the man you knew as your friend. Um, Mo, tell me why or tell me what people need to understand about George, big George, big, strong George could be menacing, maybe scare a police officer because of how big he was. What did you need to know about George and what did George know about himself that uh, led him to handle himself the way he did? George is a very wise guy. He knows his strength. He knows his capability. He knows his heart. Um, he know where he come from. Um, he's a leader. He's very wise. He has an aura, an energy about himself. He knows how to um, be seen, but not like he's trying to be seen. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's very professional 
in other words. And you know, Chris, he, he described him to me like this. He said, you know, George was an adder to your life. He, he said, some people subtract, some people divide, but he added to, to everyone's life that he came in contact with. And he certainly left a, a huge impression on my client. What do you want people to know about him? When they hear the name George Floyd, and obviously, you know, he, is, he has touched a nerve in this country and in fact around the world. Um, what do you want them to know about the man who's not with us anymore? I know you're still talking about him in the present tense because all of this is still in shock. And I, I feel for you on that level. What should they know? Big George Floyd, the gentle giant. My king. That was my panther. I'm very sorry for your loss. And I hope that as your as counsel is uh, relaying that his death comes to mean so much more than just the circumstances of the same, uh, that it gets us to a better place and a recognition, if only because of how graphic this was. And I'm sorry you had to live through it, sir. Uh, but Maurice Lester Hall, thank you so much for giving us the truth of your perspective about what happened, because people have a hard time accepting the truth in this country sometimes. And Ashley McFarlane, thank you for clarifying the issues. Uh, I wish you good luck going forward. Thank you, Chris. All right. God bless, Maurice. Thank you very much. All right. So, look, uh, you can't beat the perspective of somebody who's in the car. OK. And I have no problem with them preserving testimony. It's fine. It's not unusual. It's a balance of what you say publicly and what you don't say, especially before trial. Counsel uh, is being cautious, and I understand why. But the man was in the car. He wound up being let go. And the entire time, he heard his friend wondering why it was happening this way. And you do have to open-mindedly recognize this. Why did it take so long? George Floyd was a big guy. He wasn't Shaq, okay? You know, the idea that he can't fit in a car doesn't make sense. He was in a car. He was in a mid-sized Mercedes SUV, okay? Um, why against the wall? Why back up? Why on the ground? Why in the cruiser? Why back on the ground? Why so much time? This is what has to be answered in this prosecution. That is what fairness under the law demands in this. Because for something so extreme to happen for so long, I don't know what your background is and it doesn't really matter. Nobody is trained to put their knee on someone's throat. It is an inherently deadly thing to do. I'm not talking about on the nape of the neck. I'm not talking about on the back of the neck. I'm talking about on the throat. Okay, I have most of a lifetime learning this stuff. You won't find a cop who told you he was trained to do that. Why do it? Why that long? Why nobody saying anything about it? It is a horrible mystery. And that interview is very helpful in just cementing our idea that it didn't make sense to him either. Now, before Floyd was killed, we were taking apart the murder case of Ahmaud Arbery in Georgia. It's not just one thing, okay? The pandemic, what happened with Arbery on your screen, what happened with Floyd on video. We have more information to share with you about the Ahmaud Arbery case. Details are emerging. All three suspects are ordered to stand trial. Ahmaud's mother has been listening to the interview and she's here along with an Arbery family attorney. 
I want to shift your attention to that because it's the same issues. I know they're not police. Makes the case harder on those defendants. But what they heard in court today was so direct to what it's all about. I want her reaction and yours as well. Next. A Georgia investigator gave details in court today about how Ahmad Arbery was targeted that confirmed that the situation is as ugly as it is imagined to have been, that he was pursued, that he was run down and murdered. Then as he lay dying, his accused killer reportedly spewed hate that takes this directly to what it was most feared to be about. Even the investigator winced when he had to repeat the words. Ahmad's mother, Wanda Cooper, is with us tonight, along with family attorney Lee Merritt. Uh, Thank you both for being with us, and thank you for being so patient. I know you two, especially you, Ms. Cooper, and you too, Mr. Merritt, understand the need for perspective in that Floyd case from somebody who was there, Um, because so many people want to see these things in a light that just doesn't stand up to the truth. And for you, Ms. Cooper, I'm so sorry for your loss uh, and to have to talk to you about this, but it matters for people to understand what you learned in court today about what Ahmad had to deal with and how it was and the words that came out of one of the men that reflected what was in his heart in that moment. What did that mean to you? It was very heartbreaking. Um, I often imagine the last minutes of my son's life. I didn't imagine it would be that harsh, but to learn that that statement was was made in the last seconds of his life, it again, it was very heartbreaking. Is this a situation where, as a mother, you wanted to know what happened, or do you wish you had never heard? I wanted to know. Um, I think knowing what happened will give me a little sense of closure of what actually happened out in Satilla Shores. The words used by one of the killers, it's nothing that you haven't heard before. It's nothing that we don't know exists, uh, especially in a lot of dark hearts. But to know that it was said in the moment about your son right after they had to realize what had happened, what they had done. What's its significance to you in that moment? At this point, I'm really speechless because it's, 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 I mean, it's hard to know that he had to go through that after he had ran, he actually ran for his life. Then when he couldn't run anymore, he had to fight. And then after he fought, he was killed. Very hard to know that he, he, he endured that. The third man, the man who gave us the video, right? Gave the world the video uh, that wound up making this uh, real for people. His lawyer says he was just doing what any patriotic citizen would do. He was helping a neighbor. He saw a man he didn't recognize running down the street, a vehicle with people he did recognize pursuing them. So he went uh, to help and see. What is your take on what this situation was about? 
I think that Mr. Ryan played a major part. Um, he just wasn't riding alone and minding his own business. His part was the video man, and he played that part very well. What happened with George Floyd, what happened with Ahmaud Arbery, different circumstances, different places. Um, these men were not, no matter what they thought, they were not police officers. They were not acting under any color of authority. What is your hope that these cases come to mean for this country? I'm hoping that the death of my son, also of Mr. Floyd, that their deaths will implement change. We need change. So no other African-American male will lose their life in such manner. Now, last time I interviewed uh, you, Ms. Cooper, and you, Counselor, um, I cut it because I'm not going to bathe you in the misery uh, that you have to live with more than the rest of us uh, and for the rest of your life. And I'm sensitive to that now, too. I'm not going to repeat what we learned. In fact, you know, anybody in this audience uh, out of third grade knows exactly what kind of words were used and how they described your son. And it doesn't bear repeating. Uh, Lee, what does bear a little bit of context from your uh, legal perspective is the early narrative of he was just jogging. We followed him. He wouldn't stop. So we got out of the car and then he jumped the guy with the gun. So he had to shoot to defend himself. That's not what the GBI has found. They found that this was much more intentional and that Ahmad had to deal with a lot more, including a vehicle attack during this. What was clarified according to the GBI's perspective? Well, exactly what you said, that there was a, a level of coordination. And I, and I will just say from a human perspective, sitting next to uh, Ahmad's mother, uh, Wanda, during as this testimony came forward, it was very difficult. And, and I like to think that, that I can be pretty composed, but as I saw her begin to be impacted by those words, I began to break down. And, um, you know, I understand how hard that was for her to get through. Um, but the, um, the, what we learned from the testimony that went forward was that this was an intentional act by men who were motivated by hate. We heard the N-word used repeatedly, but every interaction they had with Ahmad seemed to be based on a fear of his black skin. And we just heard it over and over and over again as they walked through the narrative. And it seemed like the defense was leaning into that as a defense, that Ahmad was a menacing black man, even as he ran away. And that there is reason to believe that he was hit by one of the vehicles, yes? I, I, we didn't pick up testimony that he was hit by a vehicle. He was ran off the road into a ditch by Mr. Roddy. And so in order to avoid being struck by the vehicle, um, Ahmad went into a ditch so that the car wouldn't dip down into it. But that did not end the pursuit. They continued to circle around right. him. And this, this was an ongoing, aggressive pursuit. Um, that's it. That's the point of clarification. Lee, thank you. There's much more to be told here. We will not let the case go away. That's one of the mistakes we've been making in this country. Um, we have to stay on these situations through resolution and figure out what difference they make in that community because the difference on your lives uh, will be forever. And we have to honor that as well. Ms. Cooper, uh, I'm sorry to put you in these hard situations, but I hope in the interest of truth and understanding, it makes a difference in people's lives. God bless you and the family. I wish you well. Counselor, you too. Thank you. Wanda Cooper, Lee Merritt. All right, we're going to be right back. 
All right. Bring in my man, D. Lemon. CNN Tonight is obviously going to pick up the coverage. I'll tell you, we had a different show planned, uh, but you, you cannot match in the law, let alone in just humanity, a set of eyeballs and ears that are there at the scene, that are part of the situation, and who know the people involved. Yeah. Very powerful uh, account. Um, by Maurice, George Floyd's friend, and by the way, helpful with counsel also to help shape his recollections. But it just breaks your heart that the more you learn, the more you realize that it was not motivated by anything but the wrong things. Right. And it just breaks your heart. Tom. And they're admitting that in the courtroom, and even unwittingly, they don't even know how they're admitting it. Can I say, I just want to say something that. It has been, what has this been since? Are you all right? Yeah. Since, what have we been, we've been working nonstop since March, right? Since mm -hmm. the coronavirus. And, and then we have this, everybody's so tense and emotional and upset. Have you found that? Oh, absolutely. I mean, look, we've never lived through anything like this. And I know we seem to say that a lot to each other. Uh, this has been a weird, weird bunch of years. Um, but... Within the context, acutely here, uh, COVID is one of the scariest things we've dealt with as a people, whether or not people choose yeah. to believe the facts or not. Uh, it's changed our lives and mine certainly. The Arbery case on video, the Floyd case on, on video, video, chasing him around like an animal, like the 50s, like with the hoses, yeah. um, is frightening. I and, just, you know, it, people thought we were better than this, Don. They I agree. Really I agree. But I just that I've had several um, emotional conversations, emotional interactions with people after the funeral today. I was talking to Brooke. She's very emotional. Everyone is just on. It's just all I can say is emotional and it's a roller coaster ride. And I, I have never seen to this level the amount of um, not knowing uncertainty, I should say, anger fear, all kinds of things. And I don't know, we need to figure out how, where to, what to do with all of that. Well, one, you need it. Uh, you need it. You, you need, you know, human beings are led by their passions. Yeah. And passions lead to purpose. But I'll tell you, my mother's with us for a quick visit. Quick, quick, I promise. You know, if my family's watching, you know, they all want to take her away. It's like, you know, I am the virus as far as they're concerned. Um, she's heartbroken watching this. You know, uh, she has lived a lifetime hoping that things would get better. And she seems to see a situation that puts us at our worst to have Cha-Cha, you know, my 10 year old, to hear her talking to friends about the George Floyd case and about. And it's not like we're some hypersensitive news. I don't even my kids don't even watch what I do 90 percent of the time. They're watching now. But it's so penetrating. It is. It was so long. It's so wrong. And. It's so frightening that this is who we are. This yeah. is who we are. I got, um, I got a, I was on the, on a call the other day and I got a call from a friend. It's, and, and as soon as I said hello and says, Don, what would you have me do? What do you want? And, and I mean, just immediately not hello, how you doing? Nothing. I have so many of those phone calls. And I just, I, I, I want to honestly, and I think we all need to think about this, a productive way for all of us to get all of this out. And I don't know if that's in the form of, I mean, if we had, probably if we had better leadership, a fireside chat would be great. A uh, town hall of some sort would be great. 
um, a collaborative effort on many people's part in the media would be great. Something to get all of this out instead of keeping it inside and then doing it within our own silos. Mm. That's it. I don't know what that is. That's for smarter people beyond my pay grade. But right. I got to run. I've been, yeah. I've been getting yelled at for talking to you for so long. They're like, you talk to Chris all day. You talk to him on the weekend. You hang out with him. And then you get on TV and you eat up our time and you talk to him. That is all your fault. Find something that the audience appreciates more <laughs> than this and let me know. I know, because you know what? Maybe this is what everyone needs to do. That's right. My, I, you got a white friend and a white friend. Everyone says, I love your bromance. But it's, I don't know. I just think of you as Chris. It's kind of weird. It's not, not like a bromance. I mean, uh, look, I am just ridiculously attractive, Chris, and you are done. <laughs> oh, boy, you have got the biggest ego I've ever seen. It's all insecurity. It's all insecurity. Nobody loves Chris more than Chris. And if you don't believe him, ask Chris. Okay. <laughs> Thank you, buddy. I love you. I love you. you. Quality sleep is essential. And that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Now streaming exclusively on Max, a new CNN flash talk about the album that has Nashville talking, Call Me Country, Beyonce and Nashville's Renaissance. Watch it at max.com slash callmecountry. Max subscription required.